Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. 20 seconds to go. Wrist shot, save Talbot. Rebound, top of the blue paint. Wrist shot, Martinez, save Talbot. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the head. 12 seconds, wrist shot, Martinez. Save made by Cam Talbot. And here come the Oilers, 2-1-1 on one to win it. McDavid in for the left-hand side. Dry subtle waits. There's the center pass. Left timer, score! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 champ. So the Ottawa Red Blacks looking for their first win of the CFL season. Up 6-0 on Montreal. About five minutes left in the first quarter. Ottawa, the home team for that game. We have the Eskimos in Hamilton tomorrow night on this station. Four o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game will start at 5.30. The Eskimos 3-0. Hamilton 0-3. We'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff going on with that team. Morley Scott will join us for a preview from an Eskimos angle. We can tell you that according to the Eskimos depth chart released today, Bryant Mitchell in for a Darius Bowman. Bowman Put on the one-game injured list at linebacker Blair Smith bumped up the starter. Adam Konar is out, and Johnny Adams returns in the defensive backfield after being injured for a couple of games. Mercy Maston, who filled in, did a fine job last game. He comes out of the lineup. The Blue Jays playing at Fenway tonight, and the Red Sox have jumped out to a 4-0 lead that game now into the top of the third. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can always get me by texting 630-630. The Phone number is 780-496-0063. The email, insidesports at 630ched.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. All right, so it's been interesting uh, in Hamilton. The uh, Kent Austin, Zach Caleros, bit of a soap opera going on there. The team not doing well after having uh, yeah, for no, an okay team the last few years. A couple appearances in the Grey Cup since Austin took on his head coach. And uh, we got all this spying stuff going on again. Uh, Chris Jones, the head coach and GM of the Rough Riders, saying that the uh, Tiger Cats use insider information prior to their game earlier this month. Jones saying that the Riders are going to hold closed practices for the remainder of the season after accusing the Tiger Cats of spying uh, before their game on July 8th. Saskatchewan did win the game 37-20. There was one play in question where Jones was saying, well, how could have they reacted so well to it if they didn't have somebody watching or were getting some kind of information? Kent Austin, Tiger Cats head coach, responding to that. Oh, Chris, yeah. Good old Chris. Yeah, that's quite frankly absurd. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, God forbid that we actually prepared, you know, uh, we actually prepared our players as coaches. That's, you know, I mean, maybe that, maybe that has something to do with it. It follows a trend. Just Calgary decided to close their, uh, one of their practices this week. Or maybe they're just looking for a reason to close their practice. Uh, is, is, it, is, it a, yeah. is it a problem? Is, is spying a problem in the CFL today? I 
I couldn't tell you. I mean, I honestly, I, that's, you know, I heard about it this morning when I walked in and, um, it didn't work out too well for us except for that play, huh? So if we were doing that, I need to, I need to fire the scouts. Yeah. I mean, I, I've addressed it. I mean, it's ridiculous and, uh, I, I don't police our stadium. I mean, you're running so many things, uh, uh, during the week and, and you're going to change things come game time because the complexity of the game that's playing out in front of you. I mean, it's that's overblown, I think, a little bit. All right, so there, <laughs> there's Kent Austin. I, I I think it's it's somewhat amusing to to us, and by us I'm talking people who aren't professional football coaches or football coaches in general. Uh, and if you've ever attended uh, a Canadian football practice, they're not overly exciting. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you know looks fairly routine, though obviously at times they will work on maybe a trick play, a fake kick or a fake punt or a formation that might be a little different. And yeah, for sure, if, a, if a, somebody from the other team saw that, maybe there's that split-second advantage uh, when it's actually carried off in a game. I mean, often these plays, though, do come down to execution. And I I will say that, and we're going to talk to Chris Morris, the head coach of the Golden Bears football team in a few minutes, because he's a former CFL player and now coaching in university football. So he'll have some perspective on the preparation that goes into this. Um, You have to wonder how much potentially spying helps. Now, clearly teams have tried to do it. The New England Patriots got into a lot of trouble uh, for filming a New York Jets practice a few years ago. So they're... Uh, could be there's obviously something there that that coaches are looking for an advantage do they always find that advantage I would say no if they do find an advantage do, do are they are they able to actually take advantage of it well probably probably not either but you're dealing with a highly competitive industry where a few losses or bad games in a row could cost you your job so there there's no doubt spying has happened there and and I do not mean this to be personally insulting to anybody but I can also tell you in my almost two decades of covering sports of varying levels there is no doubt in my mind that football coaches are the most paranoid. And they're the most paranoid by a wide margin. And I'm not just talking at the pro level. I'm, I'm talking like I've had high school coaches. When I worked in Lloyd Minster, I had high school coaches in, in Lloyd and surrounding here, and not all of them, but some of them who discouraged media coverage of their teams, who openly didn't, who openly said to me, don't come to my practice. And I'm not going to say which town it was. There was one town outside of Lloyd that was pretty bad for it, where I, was, where I said, you know, we're going to come down. I'd love to do a profile of this kid. He's having a great season. You guys are having a great season. Here's maybe some of the angles we'd, we'd want. You know, is he a good interview? And the, the coach actually said, I'd prefer if you, I don't. Well, I don't think he was that polite. But he basically said, "Please don't come." Well, I don't, again, I don't think he said please. Uh, we wound up going anyway. I, I just wound up said I just said 
to, to heck with it. We're going. We're doing this story. It was leading into an important time of the season. Uh, and, and working in Lloyd Minster, you would often get accused, I think wrongly, of only covering Lloyd teams and not teams in the surrounding areas. So we were always conscious of finding good stories in some of the surrounding towns. But this football coach base said, do not come to practice. Now, it's not as if we were going to sit there and film plays and we were spies for the team they were playing in the playoffs that, 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 that weekend coming up. But that that you know, a lot of coaches w- w- would would love the attention, would want to get their kids on television or in the paper and get some attention and have them feeling good and say, hey, this is good for the for the program, makes the school look good, makes our team look good. Uh, and that wasn't the only football coach I've encountered over the years that was like that. Now there are rules, there are limitations on what from a TV TV angle what you shoot and can't shoot at practice. You know, fine. Um, I, I guess the question is, and I'll talk about, I'll ask Chris Morris about this. How how much is too much? What what could really be gleaned? What what is more valuable? Sending a, a spy to another team's practice, or pouring over game film to get your players prepared that way? That that's probably more useful. Uh, but but then again. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Chris will have a different answer. But, but I, I will say this, and again, I, I don't mean this to be. I, I just want to stress this point. I don't mean this to be against anybody, anybody personal. But if you, football coaches, by far the most paranoid, by far. I mean, we're ta- we're talking hockey. Sure, you get situations where they don't want something or don't ask about that. You know, injuries I think are an issue for everybody. But you know, I mean, basketball. They, they run set plays. You know, they, they call out things from the bench. No, go ahead, film a basketball practice. Film, film the, do a profile on the star player. You know, film a guy doing a drill. Didn't care. Football, no, no, no. Don't drive down and put our team on TV. Even though the principal of the school wanted us to go down there the uh, football coach, no, 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 don't come down there. So that's that, that's a little interesting. I I, I got to admit, I, I I find this uh, interesting in a uh, in a sports, uh, I guess, uh, analysis sort of way. And part of me kind of finds it comical that you know you got grown men saying you were lo- you were looking at us, quit looking at us. Well, we weren't looking at you. We're just good. Six fifteen. Chris Morris from the U of A Golden Bears coming up when we get back. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Now 6-3, Ottawa leading Montreal. They're one minute into the second quarter. CFL Week 5 getting underway. This is the uh, week where nobody has a bye. Ottawa has to play twice. There are 81 games spread over 20 weeks in the CFL. So you have to have one week with five games. This is the one. It also means Ottawa is the team that gets three bye weeks. They have this incredibly busy portion of their schedule right now. And uh, then they will have a bye in both weeks 18 and 20. So at the end of the season, they'll have uh, two weeks off over the course of uh, three weeks. Uh, Kellen, try our uh, first guest. 
I think we might just call a little bit of uh, of an audible here, and uh, and uh, work it that way. Uh, Eskimos tomorrow, four o'clock countdown to kickoff, five thirty for the start of the game here on six thirty. Chad Morley and Dave are there. Morley's going to be on the show a little bit later on. The uh, couple of notable line, well, there are a few, but the most two notable lineup changes for the green and gold. Darius Bowman placed on the one-game injured list. Bryant Mitchell, who's been an Eskimo, this is his third season now, hasn't played a lot, uh, but is uh, fairly highly thought of as a receiver. He's going to jump in for Bowman in the slot. Blair Smith in for Adam Konar at linebacker. So that uh, position, uh, we've had Greenwood go out. We've had Konar go out. We've had Sherritt go out. So they definitely they've had guys filling in there uh, at linebacker for the Edmonton Eskimos. Jamie Thomas covers the Tiger Cats for TS, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Of course, he used to work at old A-Channel here in Edmonton. It was, it was A-Channel when you were there, wasn't it, Jamie? Yeah, it was A-Channel, and then they uh, were sold to Chum, I think it was. So then it was Chum, and then, for, then it was City TV. And then I can't remember what happened after that. <laughs> well, it's still City TV. Oh, yeah, you know what it was? Bell bought it, and then Souls got rid of us. That's what happened. <laughs> oh, and you were gone. They're like, first name of, was was it like that scene in The Simpsons? We yeah. regret to announce the following layoffs in alphabetical order: Thomas, Jamie. That is all. <laughs> that is all. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, guess I'm moving. Yeah, that was a good run. But, that was uh, a good run, everybody. Yeah. Well, you're back. You're back in the uh, the, the, the Golden Horseshoe. Is Hamilton considered part yeah, of the Golden Horseshoe? It is 100% part of the Golden Horseshoe. Yeah, as a matter, yeah, that's uh, that's funny you say that because my kids are part of the Golden Horseshoe Swim Club. So, uh, and I apologize for that. My kids are in the tub and I was doing father stuff. So I apologize for missing your 400 phone calls. That's all right. We're called audibles here as, as we move along, which is fine because we're Thank talking you. football. I, I was just telling a guy. I played that Kent Austin clip uh, reacting to the Chris Jones uh, oh, my a- allegations, and I, I was uh, Jamie. I don't know what you found, and and I. I, I, I said, look, not, this is nothing against anybody, but going back to when I worked in Lloyd Minster and I covered a lot of high school football, and you know I've talked to university coaches and CFL coaches, football coaches, and I'm not are are, are the most paranoid. I mean, you worked in smaller communities like Lethbridge, so you would have covered yeah. football coaches, and not all of them, but I think if you yeah. want to generalize, are the most paranoid. Yeah, by far. Yeah, it's uh, you would think. Uh... I remember going back to the 2005 Grey Cup when Edmonton was playing Montreal, and that was Danny Machocha's Edmonton Eskimos against Don Matthews, uh, Montreal Alouettes. And I think Machocha thought the Alouettes were spying on them, so I think they closed off a portion of practice, or there was rumblings about that. So that that goes all the way back to that game, and uh, it's it's been going on forever. And um, I'm pretty sure uh, you know you heard Dave Dickinson complain about little green spies at, at their practice uh, as well. So they had to close their practice, and all kinds of stuff going on. So. It was pretty neat what Ken said today. It was pretty uh, tongue-in-cheek, sarcastic uh, type of style. And, but, you know, it, it's, it's been a kind of interesting week for Kent Austin because Glenn Suter said that there was um, conflict between Kent Austin and, and Zach Caleros, and uh, Kent was very defensive about that uh, after the loss on Saturday against the, the BC Lions. And uh, Zach said there was nothing wrong with that. And then, you know, Glenn Suter defended his comments on Tuesday on uh, on Taddy and Marsh too, so it's uh, it's been a very interesting week with the accusations that the that the Thai Cats were spying. All right, so so give me a sense here of the Austin Caleros relationship, and you know, Jamie, yeah. I've been 
the last two or three years, I've been like, oh, Kolaros is really good. If he stays healthy, he's he's the MOP, and it's never quite worked out for them. And we yeah. know, and I mean, I've had Drew Edwards on the show, and he's had these semi-combative, but I mean, Kent Austin, after a game, especially if they lose, he seems to like to be asked questions in a certain way. He doesn't want to be yes. challenged too much after a loss. So he has no. a bit of a prickly personality. What do you think the relationship between Austin and Kolaros is really like? Is it deteriorating? I don't know if it's deteriorating, but you can't tell me there's not frustration settling in, Rick, because all you have to do is go back to the reason why you think Zach Caleros is the most outstanding player, and that's the way he was playing before his knee injury, where nobody could stop the Ticats that year. The game was over in the first or second quarter, and you go back to when he came back last year. I remember coming on your show a couple of times, and we were talking about the possibility of him missing six games and winning the Most Outstanding Player Award. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how good he was playing in the first four games back from that injury. But it's it's ever since Edmund, or, uh, Hamilton beat Saskatchewan, it was in August. It was at Tim Morton's field. It was fifty-three to seven. I think the final score was. There was five touchdown passes from Zach Caleros. That is the last time they've really dominated a football game, and that's a pretty extensive period. Now they've had lots of injuries. You know, you're still missing Andy Fantuz. You're, you lost Terrence Tolliver on the second play from scrimmage in the game against Toronto. Your your best receiver at that point, uh, even I would say your best home run threat. And they just keep losing guys. And it, it's taken Zach until I would say the first and fourth quarters of that game against the BC Lions last Saturday to actually start to look like himself. And yes, they they had seven two and outs in a nine drive stretch in the second and third quarter but they're still we're starting to see those flashes where he's making things happen with his legs and then he's throwing sidearm to Luke Tasker uh, avoiding a sack and you know it was only a four-yard game but at least you're starting to see a little bit more of that magic but in when it all comes down to wins and losses I believe they've only won four times since Zach Caleros has returned from injury and that is not what you're hoping for from the highest paid player in the Canadian Football League. So you can't tell me they're they're going to get, you know, they're not having some conflict when they're in discussions with each other, but I don't think it's to the extent that where you're um you have to really worry about it. Okay. Jamie Thomas uh, joining us TSN 1150 in uh in Hamilton. Obviously the Tiger Cats a going concern in uh in that community. So is there I mean look the, in the CFL six of the nine teams make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I know. So that, 0 and 3 part, eh? 0 and 3 isn't devastating. No. But they're on the verge of now it depends with Ottawa and the crossover but they're certainly on the verge of being like, oh, this is a real big hill we got to climb. Well, yeah, because what do you have right in front of you? You have Edmonton at home, and then you have Calgary-Edmonton um, on the road, respectively, and I believe they play Winnipeg on the road, too, before returning home. So they got six straight against the Western Division, a team they uh, a division they barely had any success against last year. The only thing that keeps me thinking they're going to be okay is that the East is not hasn't started to separate itself you know you have two teams that are two and two in toronto and montreal ottawa's just still trying to find their first win of the season uh, i still think you're at that point but if you're looking at zero and six zero and seven then all of a sudden you have to start having conversations all right being really concerned about things i i don't think it's ever going to get to a point where you would fire kent austin in the middle of the season because where where are you going to go what what what's going to fill fix things he's been around for so long it's been his system his way for so long it would take a, a complete rebuild to fix things so you kind of ride this out 
for an entire season, in my opinion. But um, 0-6 is when you start worrying about things. Uh, and then, you know, it's still, you still have to see if Montreal and Toronto or Ottawa are going to start getting any better. But I still, it still looks very much like last year, does it not to me, to you? Like the West is completely oh, better than the East again. Well, I and think the East is almost embarrassing in some ways. Well, I think Edmonton, Calgary, and BC are the three best teams in the league. You yeah. can probably debate, uh, still debate the order, even though the Eskimos are, are undefeated. Uh, I mean, Toronto is a little intriguing, and Montreal isn't an odd way too, especially since they beat Calgary. But yeah, but yeah, the the three the, those three teams in the West are are clearly the best right now. Jamie, thanks for making time for me. It's going to be fun following this game tomorrow. Thanks for giving us an update on the mood there, man. I think I should be saying thanks to to you for making time for me, my friend. Hey. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, that's Jamie Thomas checking in, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. And yes, a former member of the Edmonton media community. We got the 6.30 Ched News, uh, or the 6.30, 6.30 Ched News coming up. And then we'll talk to a uh, young woman who can hit a golf ball almost 500 yards. No big deal. Inside Sports on Ched. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 4-0, Red Sox lead the Blue Jays. That's in the bottom of the fourth. Ottawa up 14-3 on Montreal. Eight and a half minutes left in the second quarter there. Ottawa coming in 0-3-1. The Alouettes 2-2 after that uh, stunner over the Calgary Stampeders last week. We'll follow that one for you. Eskimos, Tiger Cats tomorrow. Interesting times in Hamilton. Four o'clock countdown to kickoff here on 6.30, Ched. The game will start at 5.30. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, I told that story in the first half hour about a uh, uh, the Midwest, we call the region there around Lloyd Minster, uh, communities on both sides of the Alberta and Saskatchewan borders, about a, a high school team that... Uh, you know, was discouraging our, our coverage of the TV station. And I, I appreciate people from that area texting in guesses of what community it was. I will, uh, I will leave my replies to the texters and uh, not say the school. Cause it was a long time ago. So I don't want to make it, you know, paint the school with that brush. But anyway, golf major British open starts. Uh, I think because of the time change, it actually starts later on tonight. Royal Birkdale in Southport, England, hosting the tournament to talk some golf. One of the longest hitters, well, anywhere, quite frankly, Lisa Longball Vluswick. She's a seven-time Canadian long drive champion. She's been on the show before. Lisa, welcome back. You're on with Reed. How are you doing? Great, Reed. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I love Open Week. There's nothing like a major out there. Yeah, it's great. Well, I want to talk to you about that because I know you've uh, you've you've been out to that course. Um, but I always love uh, having you on the show because it's just so fascinating to me uh, how far you can hit a golf ball, and and because you've been a champion, you have to hit it relatively straight as well. What's your like? Is it have you hit it over four hundred, or what's your what's your record for yardage? No, no, no. So I actually set a, a record. I was the first woman to ever hit it over three hundred and fifty yards in competition. I hit it three hundred and fifty yards, two feet two inches at a tour event. Uh, on the LDA tour, which was pretty exciting, the first woman to hit it over three and a half NFL football fields. So, um, I would say for your listeners out there, um, a winning drive for the women's division with you know no wind, um, you know just absolute level playing field there. I would say it would be somewhere between kind of three twenty five, three thirty, and for the men's division, you're looking at kind of three ninety five plus. 
for, for the men's division. So those are kind of the competitive numbers if uh, any of your listeners are looking to get into the sport of long drive. Okay, so what's the... Because it, does it have to land on a grid? I mean, how much off-center can you be with it? Is it kind of fairway width, or what do they do? Yeah, you know what? That's about a good estimation. It's, it's a generous fairway. I'd say it's usually about 50 yards wide and over 400 yards long. We, uh, as of uh, 2016, or 17, should I say, this year, we received eight balls. Normally, we got six balls, two minutes and 45 seconds. Now we get eight balls in three minutes. The, the Golf Channel actually purchased our federation a couple years ago, and they've put it live on TV. So they're trying to make it really interesting for TV coverage. So lots of balls in a short period of time. The ball can fly out of the grid, but it must land within that 50 yards and, and stop within that 50 yards. And then the longest one is measured. If there's, a, um, if there's three inches between yourself and the next longest, they consider it a tie, and there's a three-ball playoff. Okay, because yeah. it'd be hard to spot. Okay, so it, it can't even roll off the grid once it lands? No, 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 no. Oh, wow. Me, I've flown all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, proceeded to hit six balls out of bounds and hopped back on a plane and, and flew home. So oh, geez. not a good time. You definitely got to keep it in the grid. So when you, because I mentioned you're a seven-time Canadian champ, what is the process to reaching the Canadian championship? Like, are there regionals and provincials, or do you just have to prove you're really good at it and get in? Like, what do you have to do? Well, you know, it's changed over the years. Like, starting the same with the world championships, it was a separate qualifying as it was for the Canadian championships. Before, you used to have to exactly win, win a local, then you go to the provincial championships and then move on from there. Uh, we, we had a bit of a decline in our sport. So, you know, right now, um, it's basically uh, for... It, it, you know, for those people who are interested, you kind of, all the top people, you know, you want to, you can show up, show up, and, and it goes through a double elimination process to, to finally figure out who's the, who's the longest. And, um, and the same with the world championships. So right now at the world championships, in the open division, you have to go through local qualifiers and, uh, and, and sort of win. It used to be a local qualifiers districts and so forth, and now there's sort of set competitions. The, the top, um, there's a world ranking for the men's division. There will be a new world ranking again starting in 2018 for the women. Um, but in 20, um, for 17 here, uh, the top X amount of guys, they get, they get um, a buy into the world championships. Okay. And then uh, there's a qualifying procedure for those people who aren't, I don't know if it's top 25, I'd have to double check uh, to, to get in. So it's, uh, again, anyone who's interested to go to www.worldlongdrive.com to look for where those qualifiers are. The, the one in Canada, there was only one held in Canada, and it was actually last weekend called the Bash for Cash. Okay. It was actually in Ontario. Okay, what's the best you finished at Worlds? Ah, uh, gosh, I've come second place. I lost oh, by geez. three yards. Oh. Second place by three yards. So it, it was a heartbreaker. It was a couple of years back. Um, so heartbreaking. And, and this year, you know, I was really proud, Reed. Like, it was, um, it, was a, it was a challenging year. The girls keep getting younger and stronger. I've been competing in the sport since 2001. So 16 years I've been in the sport. And this past year at the World Long Drive Championships, I had a top five finish. Um, I w- for the first time ever, we shut the American girls out of the top five, which normally they're the, the strongest girls in the field or some of the strongest girls in the field. So that was pretty exciting. And our, our winner was from New Zealand, second place South Africa, third Sweden, fourth England, and I came in fifth from Canada. Now, you know, Lisa, you have an interesting story because uh, if, I, if I recall correctly, you, I mean, you, you, you are not a lifelong golfer, right? Didn't you take it up into your adulthood or at least get more serious yeah, into your adulthood? Great memory, yeah. I yeah. started, I went to one junior night in grade eight. There were 60 boys in me. The coach told me to go hit my six iron, and he kind of ignored me for the rest of the night. So I pretty much gave up the sport. Like, I maybe played nine holes a year if my dad forced me. And then uh, in my 20s, my boyfriend at the time, actually now husband, 
Uh, he was just graduated from university, and uh, he wasn't a golfer, and he realized he was missing out on key networking opportunities because golf truly is a great networking uh, sport. And so he kind of dragged me out to the local muni, Maple Ridge, McCall Lake in Calgary, wherever we could afford to get on. And that's kind of how I got started. So, yeah, I was definitely a late bloomer to the game. Well, that's fascinating. So what was the transition to saying, okay, I like golf and I'm going to play with my boyfriend, then husband and all that, to thinking like, because that's that's quite a revel. That's to me, that's quite a revelation. Not just to say I'm good at it, but I, I specifically want to pursue long drive. Well, you know what it was in 1999. The LPGA came to Calgary at the time. One of our four majors. It was uh, the Des Moines Classic. Back when cigarette companies used right. to, be able to sponsor sporting <laughs> events. Right. And uh, so I, I volunteered my time, and so I volunteered that summer. And uh, you know, I, I I watched the best female players on the planet. Now I had always come from a sports background, starting at the age of five. I started competing in gymnastics, so I was training six days a week, and I went into trampoline and tumbling. And trampoline, of course, is an Olympic sport now, but it wasn't when I was competing. So uh, I was at a world-class level in that, and I definitely credit my ability to hit a long way to my gymnastics background. It's balance, flexibility, core strength, speed, you know, all those skills that you need to, to do well in golf. And, and, so from, and then I, you know, did track and field for the University of Calgary. So, you know, when I finished for... Um, when I graduated, it was like, okay, what can I compete in now? So luckily, you know, I couldn't break 100 to save my life, but luckily there's competitions for people who can't break 100. I went into the Alberta mid-handicap, so the year after the LPGA, so inspired to, in the year 2000, went into the mid-handicap, handicaps like uh, 12 to 40. I came like halfway, three-quarters of the way through the pack, but I was hitting at 80 to 100 yards past my female plate. Oh, wow. Yeah, and okay. then by 2001, I, I, I snuck my handicap down to about an 11, and I barely snuck into the Alberta amateur in Bonneville, actually. It was in Bonneville that year was hot as heck and uh, I got in and again I came near the end of the field but I was hitting at 70 80 yards past the NC top NCAA girls that's when I knew I was long I entered a long drive competition and I won with a 313 yard drive with a set of clubs from Costco and so that's how I got started Okay, that's incredible. Lisa Vluswick joining us on Inside Sports, seven-time Canadian long drive champion, uh, and you heard her say she once finished second in the world. So you you pursue this. Obviously, you've been excellent at it. You're, you're still going, and I do want to talk to you about the British Open because we love talking about that oh. too. So, But, but I mean, I, I, I've been golfing once or twice a week. I, I call myself a, a terrible but persistent golfer. I do truly enjoy it. I don't hit the ball very far. Um, but if I'm playing well, I, I hit it straight. And sometimes I'll, you know, you get paired up with other with other people, and you know, inevitably at some point in the summer, I, I encounter usually, uh, you know, a man in his in his twenties who, when he connects, can hit the ball 320 yards right down the middle. Totally. But he does that twice around, and every other one is <laughs> is is in is into the bush. And yeah. by the end, I have a score, a five or six stroke better score because I, I I'm more in control. So what's the secret to hitting it long and controlling it? Well, you know what? That that is the the the, the, the thing is the faster your club head speed, you know, the harder it is it, it is to hit it straight. And that's why you look at the LPGA Tour, which averages in the upper two forty yards off the tee, and you know the the PGA Tour is you know closer to the upper two eighties. That's why on the LPGA Tour, if you notice, it's boom, 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 straight down the pipe. And, and on the PGA Tour, you get to see your Dustin Johnsons and your Bubba Watsons maybe spray it out of bounds and hit the miracle shot on the green and and, and so forth. But I think the key to hitting it long is First of all, for long, the absolutely imperative is to, 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 make, to make a good turn. 80% of women can't hit it over 200 yards. And um, the, the reason is women tend to be arms lifters. We need to get women turning because uh, that's what creates coil and torque. For the men, I find the men do a great job of turning. However, 
usually men are a little bit stronger in that upper body, so their first move in their downswing is that back shoulder. They want to try to muscle it, and as soon as you do that, that's when you're going to start to have, you know, the big duck hooks and everything else. So I think the key is you need to have really relaxed grip pressure on a scale of 1 to 10, only be about a 3 or a 4. Tension is a club head speed killer. It mm-hmm. also creates errant shots. So relax that grip pressure. Make a good turn, a great swing thought. If you took your body into two halves, half, you got the upper half and the lower half, I want you to wind up with the top and unwind with the bottom. So kind of think, turn the shirt in the backswing, turn the pants in the downswing. And I think that if you can relax that grip pressure, make a good solid turn. And here's the other thing, uh, Reed, you've got to finish the golf swing. Like so many players, especially when I see guys out there, I was just at a uh, charity golf tournament today in Red Deer. Tons of Edmontonians. Actually, half the field was Edmontonians, so that was pretty cool. Um, but we were all chitty-chatty. I, hey, they were excited I was going to be on your show tonight. They had heard a, a teaser for it, so that was kind of cool. But a lot of those guys are baseball players, and they finish with weight on their back foot. Those guys were slicing it all uh, day long. Yep. So I was, I was trying to get them to finish on the front side. So if your golfers out there are having issues slicing, number one could be grip pressure. On a scale of one to ten, you should only be that three or a four. And finish your golf swing. I should see the entire back sole of your golf shoe when you're in your finish, and that will really help straighten uh, your uh, listeners out. Yeah, that, that's all. I mean, that's all great advice. And I'm by no means a great golfer, but I, I mean, I told I told you last year I got a couple lessons, and and I should say I have improved. I'm certain, like I've got, I've gone from terrible to bad. That's that's <laughs> what I say. But I but I hit more good shots, and yeah. I don't I'm not choking the club, yeah. and I'm focusing on finishing the swing and totally. just being smooth, right? And yeah. and. It, 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 and that's the thing, like even today, some of the guys that were trying to outdrive me, it wasn't the guys trying to swing out of their shoes. It was a smooth swing. And here's another great swing thought for distance for your listeners. I want you to think, don't swing harder, turn harder. When you get to the top of the backswing, turn your guts, you know, turn your lead hip, turn your pocket, turn your guts harder. That's where the power comes from, not that back shoulder. That's what's going to cause massive, massive errant shots. So think, turn harder not swing harder. Yeah, sometimes it almost feels like if you hit a good shot, for me anyway, it was almost like my arms were just along for the ride. It's like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, now I'm done, you know? Exactly, exactly. Lisa Longball of Loosewick joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, so the British Open, uh, what is this, third major of the year, Royal Birkdale. Now, you, so you visited there? Did you get to play yeah, it or so tell I me the actually, story? I was, I'm also a golf journalist in addition to being, uh, you know, a competitive long driver and I do, I do corporate and charity outings and so forth, but I also am a, I am a golf journalist. I write for Inside Golf Magazine, which can be found in every uh, single Edmonton uh, golf course pro shop for free. So, um, so I was out there as, as, as an accredited journalist, and I got to go under the ropes at Birkdale, and it's a special, special place. The funny thing was I brought a cute outfit every single day. I told my, my friends and family at home, okay, I'm going to be wearing yellow Thursday, blue Friday. Yeah, I wore a black rain suit every single day. Oh, jeez. So <laughs> that was the weather at the Open. Now, I heard this year at the Birkdale it's going to be a lot better, but it's a great golf course. I was there when Padraig won his second. That, I believe it was his five wood he hit on 17 on final round Sunday. I, I've maybe never seen a better golf shot live than that uh, shot that Padraig hit. It was unbelievable. So is, is this, uh, you're going to have to refresh my memory, and I mean, obviously the Lynx courses have a totally different reputation than a lot of the courses we see in North America. Yeah. Is this one of those that might be windy, the the rough is going to be up to your knees, and yeah. the the weather could change you know, on a dime. score, yeah. and it could change score expectations by ten strokes day to day. Is this what we're looking at? Absolutely. So, uh, the, the, actually, the, I asked when I was at the Open, and here's the thing for all your listeners that um, it's actually you, you never recall it the British Open. It's merely referred to as the Open. Right. There's the U.S. Open, and then there's 
the Open. So there you go. So that's how we, that's some good info there. But uh, it basically, they told me that as a links course, it means to be it needs to be in sight and sound of the sea. And so with when you're in sight and sound of the sea, you bet the weather plays into it. You've got you'll get tons of weather that comes quick off the ocean and also those breezes. And once that starts blowing, you know you can have two, three, four club winds. Uh, either tailwind or headwind. Um, I believe I heard Roy McIlroy had a one iron. I, I almost, I think I read that on social media today that he's putting that into play. Um, because again, the other thing is, and I learned this very quickly when I started playing in the UK. I played in Scotland and Ireland, and it's it's the bump and run. You know, you go, you'll we'll be seeing lots and lots of bump and runs. You're not going to see those 60 degree uh, flop shots that you see on the PGA Tour week in and week out in the United States on those beautiful lush emerald green fairways. This is hard pan. This is hard pan that rolls hard. So really, knowing knowing those those undulations, playing the wind, keeping it out of the wind, and bump and runs is what's going to really score well here. You know, it's 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 funny you bring that up that they they don't have kind of the lush emerald fairways. Uh, yeah. My my mom who has having me as a as a child has had to probably know more about a variety of sports than she ever thought she would have to. So, you know, when I was like a kid, I'd be like, Mom, I'm watching the British Open. She was like, that's so ugly. Like, where's the fairway? But those are kind of the courses. right? And I, I think that makes it challenging, too, because I think you probably stand on the tee on some of those. And you're not even for a pro, you're not sure where to aim and what the landing zone is. They go play those practice rounds so that they know where to miss, you know, where, and those undulations, where it hits. And because the ground is typically hard, it's going to hit, it's going to bounce hard. And, and so you're going to need to know. It's actually almost more important to know know where not to miss it versus where to hit it right right okay well who's do you have a favorite do you have a pick for this weekend Oh man, there's so many players playing so well on uh, on the tour. You know, I, I, I'm gonna I, I have to go with I think I, I think a UK player. You know, someone like a Rory McIlroy who's super hungry, who hasn't necessarily had some major performances this year, hasn't hasn't you know hit his full stride. He's someone that could really be hungry for it and has the swing and knows you know being Irish, man, this guy knows links courses inside and out. So you know, someone like that, I I, I think that we're gonna see some some great golf from. All right. Well, it's uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, I usually do the majors in DraftKings, and I have taken uh, five European players yeah, out of my six. Really smart. Kuchar's, uh, Matt Kuchar's the only uh, American that that I took. Uh, oh, that's another good pick, though. That's another good pick. Six top tens this season. He's, he's He hasn't won a major yet, has he? I think he's got to be the next guy that gets one. But he's consistent, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he, and, I think, and he got the Olympic bronze in Brazil, didn't he? I believe you're correct. Yeah, it and was, Justin Rose was the gold medalist. Rose and Stenson went down to the end, yeah. and, and Kuchar got in there for the bronze. Hey, Lisa, it, it, you know, we usually talk on the show once or twice a year. It's, uh, I got a couple texts from people saying they admire your enthusiasm. Uh, I love your passion just for golf and life in general, so thanks a lot for doing this. And I know you had a busy day uh, in, in Red Deer, so thanks for fitting me in as well because you're obviously, uh, you know, you got, you got a family to worry about too, <laughs> so I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much, Reed. Really appreciate uh, you having me on and definitely encourage your listeners to go watch the Golf Channel. Uh, there'll be a tour event live uh, July 25th um, in Denver and then also our World Championship September 6th uh, live on the Golf Channel. So check it out. And what's your website and Twitter handle again? Oh, my website is www.lisalongball.com and same with my Twitter and Instagram is at Lisa Longball. So would love to, to have some new followers and, and, and follow you back as well. Right on. Lisa, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, and good luck with your pool. Right on. Thank you. Love having Lisa on the show. Lisa Luswick, yes, seven-time Canadian long drive fan. And I love love the way she explains uh, the golf swing in a way that like isn't overly technical that hopefully even listening on the radio you can understand you know turn your shirt turn your pants you know you, you grip 
if you know on a scale of one to ten, you're about three or four. You don't need to grip it like a tan and 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 choke it. And uh, it certainly worked for her. She she is fun to have on the show and an incredible uh, incredible athlete as well. It is six fifty two. It's Inside Sports on uh, six thirty. Chad, you can text six thirty six thirty. The phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. I mentioned DraftKings, and somebody texted in by uh, <laughs> Hey Reed, did you do the millionaire contest on DraftKings? I I did not for the golf. I generally go in pools that cost a dollar to enter, because I generally don't finish in the money. So that I, I limit my losses that way. Well, maybe I'll go in the millionaire one before the end of the night. Fourteen three Ottawa over Montreal. A minute eighteen to go in the second quarter, but Ottawa in the red red zone they're down to the 15 and now a completed pass getting them down to the 10 i think they're going to have to kick though we'll keep you updated on that game morley scott's going to join us to preview the eskimos and the tiger cats it's inside sports on 6 30 chat this is jc sheriff from your edmonton eskimos and you're listening to inside sports with reed wilkins on 6 30 chat well unfortunately jc sheriff out for the season Another injury at linebacker for the Eskimos. Adam Konar not going to play tomorrow. Blair Smith will move up and take his spot. Darius Bowman on the one-game injured list. Bryant Mitchell will come in at slot back tomorrow against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Johnny Adams returns from injury in the defensive backfield. Morley Scott will give us more as we move along. You can always, of course, check out 630ched.com. And that's where you can also read more about the... uh, 50-50 50-50 winners, Quentin and Samantha Eberts, $435,920. They were unveiled yesterday, had a great conversation with them, loyal Eskimos fans. Uh, they were uh, Their engagement was on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium a few years ago. Yeah, really cool story there. You can get all that on 630ched.com. Ottawa did get that field goal, 17-3, leading Montreal. With 18 seconds to go in the first half, the Alouettes are driving to get some sort of points. They are down to the 24 with eight seconds left. I imagine they're going to probably trot the field goal team out here and try to get something out of this drive. Montreal coming in at 2-2, two and two, Ottawa sitting at... 3 and one Eskimos three and zero, only undefeated team in the league. Uh, Hamilton sitting there at zero and three, and certainly a lot going on around that team that isn't positive. Uh, the texter who asked me about the millionaire contest on DraftKings simply replied, "Cheap." Well, what can I do? I'm not cheap. I'm thrifty. Sounds a little better, doesn't it? Sam G. texting in. He says, Hey, Reed, I like listening to athletic people who are smart about their sports. Two days in a row, you've had a female athlete explaining their sports so well. Very refreshing. Thanks, Sam. Lisa Longball of Lucewick tonight. Jelena Mergenovic, champion boxer, was on the show last night. Yakashev says, Chris Jones is an egotistical, conceited narcissist. I don't know how anyone could be a fan of any team that he coaches. Good luck, Gophers. That's from Yakashev. And we were talking about spying on practices earlier. The Big L texting in simply says, I'm watching you, Reed. Well, thanks for creeping me out, Big L. Kevin Carius also going to drop in as we move along. Inside Sports on Chet. 630 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chet.